Hi, and welcome back to Spatulas and Speculations. I am your unofficial professor, Lily, or as you may more commonly know me as a happy hermit on all the social medias, and this is SJM101, and today we're doing an episode for the professor. So, <laughs> this is kind of, this is something I've said, I think I, I know I've said it on the podcast, um, this is an episode I, I wanted to do, and we've skirted around this particular subject, but and we've looked at it before, but in a different light and in a different context. And this time, I really just want to singularly look at it. So we're going to be doing a chapter breakdown of Kingdom of Ash, chapters 98 and 99, focusing more on 99. Um, but it's kind of... there. There's a big flow that happens in those chapters where they it, it is broken up into two chapters, but it's basically one narrative. Um and we have talked about it way, like, like a long, like over a year ago, which I can't believe I can say that on the podcast. And we did an episode on the worlds and the di the difference between worlds. And then we did one on um, the realms and then we did one on the word. So we did like three groupings of episodes. And so we talked a lot about Koa 99 and obviously Koa 99 is just like a really, really important chapter. So we have just talked about it in like in other places, but I really just want to singularly look through this chapter and just do a chapter deep dive for myself. This I am requesting this episode for myself. <laughs> um, so that's why we're going to do it. And I, I, there's kind of a reason like why I want to get into it and why I want to do it. And that's mostly because I just want to like, a, it's been over a year since I read Throne of Glass now. It's been well over a year since I did Akatar, and I'm jumping into my Crescent City tab reread. And I really just want to like, this is such an important chapters specifically that I really want it fresh in my mind when I jump back into um, Crescent City. So that's why we're going to do it. I want to do it. I'm doing this for me. Um, if you're, there's going to be a lot of information that we've kind of already talked about. I'm throwing in new stuff, but if it's boring for you, I'm sorry, you know, just re-listen to the old episode, I guess, or just pretend this episode never happened and come back next week. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I, I want to do it. I really want to do it for myself because I think I'll benefit a lot from it and uh, refreshing is really good. I know that some people do re like, you know, re-listen to episodes of the podcast. I don't because I can't stand the sound of my own voice. <laughs> Editing is so much fun. Um, but yeah, so I don't re-listen to my own podcast episodes. So I'm refreshing myself with my own information, which is, I don't know, what am I, what is this intro? What am I doing? But before we go any further and we dive super, super deep into what today's episode is, um, I'm going to throw out the spoiler warning. There will be massive SJM Universe spoilers. If you haven't finished reading every book by Sarah J. Mass, save this, follow me, come back and join the conversation we're done because we're going to be talking about all the different books and information in all the different books. So if you haven't finished reading them, you know, say you still have so much time left. You can, you can finish. I, we all believe in you, but we don't spoil in this house. Number two is, I don't speak for Sarah and I don't speak for Bloomsbury. These are my thoughts. These are my opinions. These are my notes. And, you know, something that I've learned is, I mean, I trust my note-taking ability because I am insanely thorough, but sometimes I don't see something at first, like, the way I should see it. Like, I kind of gloss over it and then, like, I'll come back, you know, turn over. It's like turning over a rock and, like, each side is a little different. Like, that's kind of how it feels sometimes with the, with the, with the SJM universe, especially because there's just so much, there's so little information, but there is so much information as well. So, I might miss things or I might, 
not talk about something in depth and then be like, oh, it's actually really important later on. And I'm just human and I'm sorry. I try my best. Um, and then thirdly, I pronounce stuff wrong. I'm, I'm trying to retrain my brain with certain names. It is really, really difficult. So, you know, just have grace for me and, and thank you for putting up with me thus far. Okay. There's going to be an extra, an extra, um, <laughs> this is for basically specifically one person, a, a, a disclaimer and apology for one person. I don't, I, she might not listen to this episode. I, I try not to, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't make people listen to my podcast. Um, so Rosie, if you are listening, whether in real time or in the future or whatever, Rosie, who's been on this podcast, one of my best friends, a great theorist. Um, she helped with the Eris episode. We did a hive mind chat with my other friend, Jennifer, who I'd love to have on to talk about Sailor Moon stuff sometime. Maybe, I don't know when that's going to happen. Um, but J Rosie and anybody else who falls in this category, I, I, you know what? If you think that Aelin fell through, <laughs> fell through time, or you think that Throne of Glass is in the past, um, this might not be the episode for you. I will briefly touch on, well, not briefly, I'll, I'll probably extensively touch on why I do not think that Aelin fell through time and why I don't think Throne of Glass is happening in the past, but if you've been on the podcast for any amount of time, you know that I'm pretty solidly in thinking that all three series are happening relatively at the exact same time, but if that doesn't bring you joy, um, please don't want, don't listen to this just to get upset. Don't listen to this and, to, and be hurt. Like, if that's your theory, I would rather you throw me in the garbage. I'm not even joking. Like, pick me up, toss me in a big old dumpster, and shut the lid and leave me to the raccoons. Um, then, then feel sad in your theory and, and whatever is bringing you joy. And I can say that about most of anything. Like, this that we're doing you know, the theorying, the rereading, the tabbing, the excitement online, um, is, is meant for joy. And a lot of the times people try to take that joy away from people, whether it was ships or with ideas or theories or whatever. I don't ever want to be that person. So if something that I say, I don't care. I don't even care if it's canon, to be honest. Like, even if I say like, this happened in the, on this page and the book, and you're like, I don't like that, Lillian. That makes me sad turn me off, throw, throw, delete the part, like, just, just ignore me, because I'd rather you just be happy and living in your bliss. I'm, I'm not even joking. I know it sounds ridiculous. Please, if, if, if anything that I say does not make, bring you joy, please don't listen to me, okay? I just, I just want you to be happy. Theorying is meant to bring you joy. So today's episode is, we're going to be talking about what happened when Aelin shut the word gate. And, there, most of what happens is her falling through the world. And I'm gonna go into some depth about, like, just throwing in, you know, canon evidence of why I don't think she's falling through time. I'm gonna bring in stuff that Sarah has said that kind of reiterates that fact. And I'm just gonna kind of, um, not, I'm not gonna, like, pat myself on the back, but I'm just gonna kind of, you know, show my thinking and, and why I, you know, just, I don't even, I really don't even touch theories in my own mind about Tog being in the past because I just think it's not a waste of time, but for me, I just 
from what I know, what I've gathered, what I understand, and my reading comprehension, I just don't even think I, I need to, just personally. Like, there's just so much stuff I, I, I have on, on deck and on plate that I'd rather monkey with and twiddle with than, than something that I just don't think is going to happen. And, and Rosie, again, if you are listening to this, I respect you. I love you. I will watch all of your videos of them being in the past because it is such a cool idea. It is a really cool idea that, you know, extreme time travel will be going on that like, you know, a character could have the parent from somebody in, um, Throne of Glass. Though, like I said last week, I, I don't think Lydia's <laughs> Rowan's kid because, the way she talks about her dad, I just don't see that being Rowan. But, like, you know, there are things that make you go, oh, maybe, you know, oh, maybe. Um, I see them. Rosie usually shows them to me, and I go, oh, maybe. So, again, Rosie, I love you eternally. I respect you. I bow at your feet. Any book wreck you tell me to read, I read. I, I trust you impeccably. Don't watch, don't listen, don't watch, don't listen to this. <laughs> Okay, with that out of the way, um, let's jump into it. So, this is a chapter deep dive, so that means I'm going to read the entire sections in one go without stopping, and then after that, we're going to go in line by line and just pick out all the pieces that I think are important or where we should put our ties to or where the parallels come from or any information that I can also pad and give to you to maybe explain what's going on, um... And like I said, this is this is kind of like a refresh episode for me. Um, there was like a lot of pieces that I know I've talked about before, but again, they were in different contexts and like and and taking information that we know and being able to plug them into different places, I think just shows the the genius and and, and depth of the world building in the SJM universe. So, yeah. All right. If you're going to read along with me, I invite you to turn to Kingdom of Ash, the emotional trauma brick, and turn to chapter 98. This is after the conversation with the quote-unquote gods. Um, This is after Elena has been destroyed and the gate to the gods world is opened. So I'm going to just jump right in to that. So the POVs do shift between Rowan and Aelin in these two chapters, but I'll let you know when the POV shifts. And we start off in Rowan's perspective, and it says, it was breaking apart. The mating bond. Bowed over his knees, Rowan panted, a hand on his chest as the bond frayed. He clung to it, wrapped his magic, his soul, around it as if it might keep her, wherever she was, from going to a place he could not follow. He did not accept it, would never accept this fate. Never. Distantly, he heard Dorian and Kale debating something. He didn't care. The mating bond was breaking, and there was nothing he could do but hold on. Then it shifts to Aelin. One... By one, the gods strode through the archway into their own world. Some sneered down at her as they passed. They would not take Erwin. Would not, would not do anything. Her chest was hollow, her soul gutted out, and yet this, and yet this. 
Halen clawed at the mist-shrouded ground that was not ground, as the last of them vanished, only until one remained, a pillar of light and flame, shining in the mists. Mala lingered at the threshold of her world, as if she remembered, as if she remembered Elena and Brannon, and who knelt before her, blood of her blood, the recipient of her power, her heir. Seal the gate, Firebringer, Mala said softly. But the Lady of Light still hesitated, and from far away Aelin heard another woman's voice. Make sure that they're punished some day, every last one of them. They will be. She had sworn to Kelton. They had lied, had betrayed Elena and Aurelia, as they had believed themselves betrayed. Their green, sun-drenched world rippled away ahead. Groaning, Aelin climbed to her feet. She was no lamb to the slaughter, no sacrifice on an altar for the greater good. And she was not done yet. Aelin met Mala's burning stare. Do it, Mala said quietly. Aelin looked past her, towards the pristine world that they had sought to return to for so long, and realized that Mala knew, saw the thought in her own head. Aren't you going to stop me? Mala only held out a hand. In it lay a kernel of white-hot power. A fallen star. Take it. One last gift to my bloodline. She could have sworn Mala smiled. For what you offered on her behalf. For fighting for her. For all of them. Aelin staggered a few steps into the goddess. To the power she offered in her hand. I remember, Mala said softly. And the words were joy and pain and love I remember. Aelin took the kernel of power into her palm. It was a sunrise contained in a seed. When it is done, seal the gate and think of home. The marks will guide you. Aelin blinked, the only sign of confusion she can convey as the power filled and filled and filled, melding the broken spots, the empty places. Mala held out her hand again, and an image formed within it of the tattoo across Aelin's back. The new tattoo of spread wings, the story of her and Rowan written in the old language amongst the feathers. A flick of Mala's fingers and symbols arose from it, hidden within the words and feathers. Word marks. Rowan had hidden word marks in her tattoo, had inked word marks all over it. A map home, Mala said, the image fading, to him. He suspected somehow that it might come to this, had asked her to teach him so he might make this gamble. And when Aelin looked behind her to the archway into her own world, she indeed could feel them, as if the word marks he had secretly inked into her were rope. A tether home, a lifeline into eternity. One last deceit. Another voice whispered past them, a fragment of a memory spoken on the rooftop in Rifthold. What if we go on, only to more pain and despair? Then it is not the end. That power 
flowed and flowed into Aelin. Her lips curved upward. It was not the end, and she was not finished. But they were. To a better world, Mala said, and walked through the doorway into her own. To a better world. A world with no gods, no masters of fate. A world of freedom. Aelin approached the archway to the gods' realms, to where Mala now walked across the shimmering grass, little more than a shaft of sunlight herself. The Lady of Light halted and lifted an arm in farewell. Aelin smiled and bowed. Far out, striding over the hills, the gods paused. Aelin's smile turned into a grin, wicked and raging, and did not falter as she found the world she sought, as she dipped into that eternal, terrible power. She had been a slave and a pawn once before, and she would never be so again. Not for them. Never for them. The gods began shouting, running towards her as Aelin ripped open a hole in the sky, right into the world she had seen only once, had accidentally opened a portal into one night in the stone castle. Distant, baying howls cracked from the bleak gray expanse. A portal into the hell realm, a door now thrown open. Aelin was still smiling when she closed the archway into the gods' worlds and left them to it, the sound of their outrage, frightened screams ringing out. There was still one last task to seal the gate forever. Aelin unfurled her palm, studying the lock as she had forged. She let it float into the heart of the misty, door-filled space. She was not afraid. Not as she opened her other palm. A power, and power poured forth. Mala's final gift, and defiance. The force of a thousand exploding suns erupted from Aelin's palm. Lock, close, seal. She willed it, willed it, and willed it. Willed it to close as she offered over her power but not that last bit of self. The debt has already been paid enough. A map home, a map inked into the words of the universe, would lead the way. More and more and more, but not all. She would not give it up, her innermost self. She would not surrender. They would not take this lingering kernel of her. She would not yield it. Light flowed through the lock, fracturing like a prism, shooting into all those infinite doorways. Closing and sealing and shutting, an archway to everywhere now sealing. They would not destroy her. They would not be allowed to take this. Come back to me. More and more and more. Mala's last power funneling out of her and into the lock. They would not win. They could not take it, couldn't have her. She refused. She was screaming now, screaming and roaring her defiance. A beam of light shot into the archway behind her, beginning to seal it too. She would live, she would live, and they would all go to hell. A better world, with no gods, no fate. A world of their own making. Aelin bellowed and bellowed, the sound ringing out across all worlds. They would not beat her. 
they would not take this, this most essential kernel of self, of soul. Once upon a time, in a land long since burned to ash, there lived a young princess who loved her kingdom. Her kingdom, her home, she would see it again. It was not over. Behind her, the archway slowly sealed. The odds were slim. The odds were insurmountable. She had not been destined to escape this, to reach this point and still be breathing. Aelin's hand drifted to her heart and rested there. It is the strength of this that matters, her mother had said long ago. Wherever you go, Aelin, no matter how far, this will lead you home. No matter where she was, no matter how far, even if it took her beyond all known worlds. Aelin's fingers curled, palms resting into the pounding heart beneath. This will lead you home, an archway to Aurelia inched closed, world walker, wayfarer. Others had done it before. She would find a way, too. A way home. No longer the queen who was promised, but the queen who walked between worlds. She would not go gently. She was not afraid. So Aelin ripped out of her power, ripped out the chunk of what Mala had given to her, a force to level a world, and flung it towards the lock. The final bit. The last bit. And then Aelin leapt through the gate. Moving on to chapter 99. She was falling. Falling and being thrown. The word gate sealed behind her and yet she was not home. It closed. All worlds overlapped and now she fell through them. One after another after another. Worlds of water. Worlds of ice. Worlds of darkness. She slammed through them faster than a shooting star, faster than light. Home. She had to find home. Worlds of light, worlds of towers that stretched into skies, worlds of silence, so many. There were so many worlds, all of them miraculous, all of them so precious and perfect that even as she fell through them, her heart broke to see them. Home. The way home, she fumbled for the tether, the bond in her soul, inked into her flesh. Come back to me. Aelin plunged through world after world after world. Too fast. She would hit her own world too fast and miss it completely, but she could not slow, could not stop. Tumbling and flipping over herself, she passed through them one by one by one by one by one. It is the strength of this that matters. Wherever you go, Aelin, no matter how far, this will lead you home. Aelin roared, a spark of self flashing through the sky. The tether grew stronger, tighter, reeling her in. Too fast, she had to slow. She plummeted into the last of herself, into what remained, grappling with any sort of power to slow her racing. She passed through a world where a great city had been built along the curve of a river, the buildings impossibly tall and glimmering with lights, passed through a world of rain and green and wind, roaring she tried to slow. She passed through a world of oceans with no land to be seen. Close. Home was so close she could nearly smell the pine and snow. If she missed it, if she passed it by... She passed through a world of snow-capped mountains under shining stars. 
passed over one of those mountains where a winged male stood beside a heavily pregnant female, gazing at those very stars. Fay, They were Fay, But not of her world. She flung out a hand as if she might signal to them, as if they might somehow help her when she was nothing but an invisible speck of power. The winged male, beautiful beyond reason, snapped his head towards her as she arced across his starry sky. He lifted a hand as if in greeting. A blast of dark power like a gentle summer night slammed into her, not to attack, but to slow her down a wall, a shield that she tore and plunged through. But it slowed her. That winged male's power slowed her just enough. Aelin vanished from his world without a whisper. And there it was. There it was, the pine and snow, the snaking spine of the mountains of her continent, the tangle of oak wall to the right, the waste to the left, and the land of many peoples, many beings. She saw them all, familiar and foreign, fighting and at peace, in sprawling cities or hidden deep within the wilds. So many people revealed to her. Aurelia. She threw herself into it, grabbed the tether, and bellowed as she hauled herself toward it. Down it. Home, home, home. This was not the end. She was not finished. She willed herself, willed the world just to halt, just as the word gate slammed shut with thunderous crack all other doors with it. And Aelin plunged back into her own body. And then we get a POV shift back to Rowan. The word marks faded into the rocky ground as the sun rose over Endover. Rowan was on his knees before Aelin, readying for her last breaths, for the end that he hoped somehow take him to. He'd make it his end. When she went, he'd go. But then he felt it. As the sun rose, he felt it. That surge down the frayed mating bond a blast of heat and light that welded the broken strands. He didn't dare to breathe, to hope. Even as Aelin collapsed onto her knees where the word marks had been, Rowan was instantly there, reaching for her limp body. A heartbeat echoed into his ears, into his own soul. And that was her chest rising and falling, and those were her eyes opening slowly. The scent of Dorian and Kale's tears replaced the salt of Endover as Aelin stared up at Rowan and smiled. Rowan held her to his chest, weeping in the light of the rising sun. A weak hand landed on his back, running over the tattoos he had inked. The, I'm gonna, I won't read, there's like one page left, but it's just her talking to the, to the guys, basically, about how um, she is now fully fey. And I just kind of want to point out something that I think it's a little, like, you know, you guys know I get a little feisty when it comes to the Sarah taking away people's powers and feel how you want to feel. You, you, that's always your right. But, you know, it's no secret that I think Nesta should have lost her powers because they weren't hers. Um, but I just want to kind of point out because it says here, but Aelin smiled, smiled at the lack of the well within her, that churning sea of fire. And what did remain a significant gift, yes, but nothing beyond the ordinary. So she still has, like, I mean, 
considerable for the Fae of Aurelia. Like, she still has quite a bit of power. It's not the same, I know, but it's not nothing. And I think that, like, the way people talk about it, they act like, you know, she's nothing but a lighter, but she's still, like, a home fire. Like, I know the, the Autumn King gets kind of feisty about how much power he has, you know, considering, but, I mean, Aelin's still still a, a player, and she still has her water gift, which I think if if Aelin does come back into play, and as we can, you know, I was going to mention it when it comes up, but there is, like, that foreshadowing when, when she's falling through the worlds about, she's like, all of them precious, all of them miraculous, they broke her heart, and then later when she, when she's kind of reflecting more on what had happened, she's, like, thinking about how, like, she's upset that she won't ever get to see them, so I definitely think that there's a mighty chance that we'll see Aelin. I kind of hope to see, if we do see Aelin again, um, I really, really hope to see that um, she's spent time working on her water gift because that's what she, she wanted to be a healer when she was a child. Um, and like, she had always wanted to go to Dornell, I think it was Dornell, and to meet the healers, because water is uh, the healer's affinity, basically. Um, and so she had always wanted to be a healer. And I, I kind of hope that in her life, you know, in the time that that she's kind of recuperating and and coming back to herself, that she, she spends some time focusing on her, her healing gift. And actually... Which, it's in one of the Tower or Empire of Storms bonus chapters um, from one of the exclusive editions. They go through this town and she meets a, a child healer, a young healer. Like, there's a whole chapter, basically, like, of Aelin talking about her water gift and her healing magic. Um, so I really would like to see some of that in the future. If we ever get to see Aelin again, I think that's actually what I want to see from her. Um you know, I don't know. That's just where I'm at. So let's, let's break it down. Let's get, let's actually get into it. Though, can I just say, uh, I was actually fighting back tears. I don't know how audiobook narrators do that kind of stuff because like, I almost started crying. <laughs> A little bit I did. I'm not gonna lie. I might've paused. I might've paused. You don't know it because I can edit it out, but uh, yeah. So this chapter starts out by talking about how the gods one by one, the gods strode through the archway into their own world. Um, we've talked about their world before, and I'm, I guess I could say that about almost everything we're going to talk about today. We've talked about this before, but... Um, so I should just erase it from my vocabulary for the day. <laughs> this kind of trips me up because... <clears throat> it we, we did a whole episode um, about... Ooh! Uh, I need to make a note because that's actually a really great segue... Lillian. So we did a whole episode on my theory about how I think the Tog gods are actually the Asteri's siblings that they had been trying to contact but could never contact or, or they've been looking for them through the cosmos, uh, whatever. Because um, they they already thought that their siblings that were on Perithian are gone, so they were looking for other siblings. And in Kingdom of Ash, it's like kind of a refresh, um, Gavin says that the all-seeing one does not associate with those spineless creatures, in parentheses, doesn't even call them gods. So there's like a dif distinction between them. And so I kind of said that they were Siri. Something that happens in Hosab is how Rigelus says that 
they don't know where their world is anymore. They they like they lost it. They we don't they don't even care about it. So I do find it interesting that the gods of Throne of Glass were so particular about going home when Rigelus really has no want of it and kind of brings up a really good question that I think kind of delves into what is an Asteri and that is why did they leave their home in the first place like what were they eating before on their home world like how many other Asteri are there there's like kind of that question like were they is their first light on their world or are they kind of like how Striga um learned to uh eat souls eat first light essentially that the bone cover talks about did they just learn how to do it and they got a taste for it same with like the the striggan spiders and how they have like a knack for ta- making bargains and taking seeds of light and life first light which we'll talk about in a few seconds actually um i have a whole thing on the seeds of light and magic that we're going to go into um so is that something that they acquired or is that something that their beings have always consumed that's kind of the question because if that's true if it's not all if that's just something they picked up if that's something they've learned to eat then maybe their siblings go through different processes if that makes any sense and we also have to remember we don't know how the asteri and i put this in parentheses naturally feed in parentheses because they have you know, in this modern world with all of the electricity and they've created these systems for just like funneling it. Whereas we've never seen them like before they had the the drop that they created or the rituals that the dead, that the underking does for them. Like we've never seen them just naturally consume first light before. And I think that once we do, or if we ever get to see that, will automatically see like know something i don't know what like either their valg or you know or whatever but i just think that there could be some stuff going on here and the reason so like even if the tog gods are like asteri beings like maybe there's a reason they want to go home that we just don't know about or i don't i don't know maybe like once they're home they can kind of reach out to someone their other siblings like they've been trapped they've been stuck in the in-between and haven't been able to communicate i don't know the thing that bothers me about the tog gods and about like kind of this whole plot line of the tog gods is that like we don't learn whys we don't ever get to know the whys like how how they got trapped why it's so important that they were trapped and who trapped them and then we never learned why it was so important for them to go home like we never get that considering the fact that they had some influence on aurelia like they were able to do stuff maybe i don't know at some point they were i don't I, like like again we, we just don't learn like how they got trapped or why they get trapped like why did mala get to have a body but the others like she was able to bind herself to a fey body for a little while there and the others never did like is that considered slumming it like wouldn't it be better to just be tethered into a fey body for a little while than to be stuck in the am i thinking too much about it probably but that's kind of my thing is like we never learn like what it was that was so important for them to go home and why the wise um so yeah my question is, so at the end of House of Sky and Breath, for some reason, I don't know why, I mean, I have to imagine there is a reason for it, but Bryce, when she's going through 
um, all the worlds, she decides to stop looking at the worlds that they had been to and start looking for their home world. She's like, where did they come from? I don't know why it matters at that time. She's like, we're going to blow it up. I don't know how that helps anything. I mean, retribution, thy name is Bryce, but like, so the thing, the question that she's, that Sarah's kind of like going, like, where did they come from? Like, is that important? And then Rigelus even says, like, oh, even we've forgotten where we came from. So I kind of wonder if, like, the reason why we get the gods needing to go home uh, is maybe pointing towards, like, the Asteri's home, maybe? I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching, maybe I'm grasping at straws. I don't know. The next thing um, that we see here is that Mala remembers, and I, and I know we talked about it when we talked about Amrin. But I just want to point out the fact that it is very similar to Amryn, um saying that once she unbinds her body that she would not remember. And so I just want to point out again, like, there is that parallel. What does that mean about Amryn? I don't know. What does that mean about Mala? I don't know. But it, it is definitely a parallel there. Their world is, like, a grassy plain. We learn that the bone carver thinks that his world is nothing but dust drifting on a plane and then we saw that parthos or what could be parthos that apollyon shows bryce in hosab is dust on a plane so like there is all of that connection but again if the bone cover is the all-seeing one i don't think they shared a home world because well maybe they did because maybe that's why they got some beef like he's got some beef with them they're like little underlings to him i don't know but there is that i i want to focus quite a bit more time i just want to kind of like I know I talked for like seven minutes on that, but I want to kind of go back down into. So she goes on to say, and realize that Mala knew, saw the thoughts in her head. Aren't you going to stop me? Mala only reached out a hand and lay a kernel of white hot power, a fallen star. Um, this, this, so we're going to talk about the kernel in the sea of power next, but I just want to focus on the, a fallen star. In House of Earth and Blood, chapter 73, it says, when talking about the Asteri's power, they each held the power of a sacred star. Each could level this planet to dust, yet there is no light in their cold eyes. And then later in that same chapter, it says the brute power of the stars. And then in Hosab, it says, all we have as proof of their so-called sacred power is their word. Bryce read. Who has ever seen such a star manifest itself? If they are stars from the heavens, they are fallen stars. A chill ran down Bryce's spine, one hand drifting to her chest. She had a star within her. Well, starlight that manifested as a star-shaped thing. But what was this mysterious power then? The sun was a star. But did they possess the power of an actual sun? So I just like, I looked through the other books to see if there's any mention of fallen star. And aside from the fact, like, I think Feyre says that she like looks like a fallen star when she goes to Starfall for the first time, like her dress. Like, it's not mentioned anywhere else other than in those two sections. So I kind of, like, I want to say that, that that there's something here. And I've been circling like a shark, like you would not believe, trying to figure out the the, the tangles of Asteri power, star, Starborn power, Day Court, Dawn Court, Healer, 
like all of these light powers that seem to somehow intertwine but are yet different and I still have not figured out an answer but I feel like I'm kind of starting to go in the right direction because even Bryce herself is starting to question the sun is a star <laughs> if you haven't seen that video of my TikTok of me absolutely losing my mind and then subsequently actually I think I made a podcast episode after that kind of going through it um yeah the sun is a star kind of like broke my brain when I realized <laughs> um so moving down into actually what Molly gave her I want to pause for a second before I go into that I want you guys to remember and I want to also remember remind myself is that Aelin's physical body is on Aurelia her spiritual self is I I she says the queen who walked between worlds. So I'm going to assume she's in the in-between that we learn about uh, earlier in talk. And I think that, like, Adis kind of, like, wink-wink, nudges, nudges um, in House of Earth and Blood, but I can't quite remember the exact quote. So anyways, the in-between. That's where she's at. And I want you guys, like, the way that I picture it is actually kind of interestingly enough, is the way that, like, Rune and Day and Reese and Feyre, I mean, especially Reese and Feyre in <laughs> intrusive thought counter number one, um, when they are in a court of frost and starlight and they like, they're doing the hanky panky dance in physical form and also, uh, doing the no pants dance in their minds. So, like, that's kind of how I see it, is, like, those, like, those first light bodies, because Rune is just, like, stars and whatever, and then Lydia's a lady of light. I think Feyre and Reese also are not, like, the same as their physical forms, like, Reese's claw-tipped darkness. I think, I think, oh, I swear even it says that he is, like, a hand of starlight in it as well. I can't remember what Feyre is at the top of my brain but like that's how I'm picturing it is like that's their first light soul body if if that makes like any sense they think also when Bryce makes the drop like she's in that metaphysical being like I think it's all the kind of one in the same I think that's what Sarah's kind of trying to say is like it's all kind of one in the same I don't know if that makes any sense why is that important good question so yeah Aelin is in her first light body um and it took first light to seal the word gate. And that's why both Dorian and Aelin lost magic to it, is because they gave up their first light. Um, think also, uh, I didn't put it in my notes, and I should have, because now that's really smart of me. Um, when Bryce talks about giving a kernel of their power to the gate to, like, make a wish or whatever, and you, like, lose a tiny, like, a, just a, like a, like a little fingerprint of your magic forever it's the same thing but it was extensive so it was first light that took to seal the word gate and that's why like it was so important that Aelin you know the that someone have an extensive amount of it because it would take a whole ocean of first light to fix the word gate which you know goes back to how was it ever broken crazy uh, crazy 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 because it sends me back into that whole death maiden healer 
starborn spiral that I just love to go on to. Um, but yeah, so took first light. So Aelin was, when her and Maul are having this conversation, she's already given a lot of, like, almost all of her magic already. She, like, basically only has her water left, and she's, like, trying to hide it from the gods. And then Mala gives her, she says, Aelin staggered a few steps to the goddess, to the power she had offered in her hand. I remember, Mala said softly. The words were joy and pain and love. I remember. Aelin took the kernel of power into her palm. It was a sunrise contained into the seed. And then before I go into the depth of like what it was, it says, as the power filled and filled and filled her, melding into the broken spots, the empty places. So it replenished the first light that she had lost. And she got more. Actually, she got more than she used to have as well, I think, uh, is what they were trying to say. So this, it was a sunrise contained in a seed. Akatar 45, Reese stepped forward, bringing my shred of soul with him. Reese was clutching onto the mating bond just like Rowan was. And Rowan's, just as this is so off topic, I, ADHD Lillian, oh my goodness, chaos incarnate. Um, Rowan's dad actually saved Rowan's mother this way when she was in childbirth with Rowan. He said that his father like clung to their mating bond and it stopped her from like completely dying, which is crazy, crazy, crazy considering like, I don't know, Rowan ends up doing it and Reese ends up doing it as well. So it says in Aquatar 45, Reese stepped forward, bringing my shred of soul with him. I found Tamlin staring at me, at us, for what she gave, Reese said, extending a hand we will bestow what our predecessors have granted to a few before. He paused. It makes us even, he added. And I felt the twinkle of his humor as he opened his hand and let a seed of light fall on me. So a seed of light fall on me. It was a sunrise containing the seed, a seed of light. In Act War 77, it says, There, a small sunflower seed, it appeared in my palm, a bit of me, my life. I laid it gently on Reese's blood-crusted throat. So, that same piece. I know, I know I've talked about this before, and like I said, this is kind of like a refresh, focusing, I just want to do a chapter deep dive on this chapter, and so I'm pulling all my information that I know from all the other places, just to, like, just to boost, like, the depth like, this chapter is built, is, is written kind of in, like, Poe's stanzum, like, like, it's meant to show the fast-pacedness, the, the emotion, the depth, like, whatever, but, so it's, like, you know, not full paragraphs, but, like, there's so much depth and, like, background knowledge that Sarah just, like, is so, it's, it's kind of amazing, like, you know, these are short, choppy sentences, and yet each sentence basically has, like, a well of information behind it that you can bring forward and create a, you know, a gigantic document. It's, it's, it's kind of insane to me, to be honest, but you know, whatever. So these seeds of light is what I'm trying to say is first light. And that's why it healed her. So, and this is why Feyre got magic when she was brought to life and, and turned into Fae. By the high lords why she got a piece of each of the magic and we can see that earlier in kingdom of ash in chapter 15 when dorian um meets that spider who had taken the shape-shifting ability from lysandra's uncle and he says he kept his face neutral and interested even as magic located that glowing beautiful bit of magic into where the stolen seed of human magic resided 
and wrapped around it. He held onto it, a baby bird in his hands as the spider died, studying the magic, every facet of it, before it seemed to sigh in relief and fade into the wind free at last. And then it returns to Lysandra's uncle and he is given back the, his youth and his years and he is given back the full force of his magic. So it was like this beautiful iridescent seed of light and magic, same that we see Mala give to Aelin, same that we see that Aelin is given in Agatar, and the same seed of light that Reese is given. And they both equal light, life, and magic. So like all of it's the same. It's all the same and it's not just, you know, BS that Sarah, you know, does for a, you know, Hail Mary pass at the end of uh, of Kingdom of Ash to save Aelin. Like, this is something that she has definitely said, like, yes, this can happen in the SJM universe. It wasn't just random. It wasn't just like, oh, Aelin gets to live by miracles. Like, it was in-depth, well-planned out, which, again, insane. Insanity. We see another seed of magic in House of Earth and Blood, chapter 14. So we see it in all three series. And it, interestingly enough, it's not when someone is dying, which I think is mm, kind of, ooh. it's in chapter 14 when Rune is in the Autumn King's study and the Autumn King asks him for his starlight to work on his prism. And we'll talk about the prism in a second. Um, and it says, there curled upon itself like some hibernating creature lay the single seed of iridescent light. He gently cupped it with a mental palm, stirring it awake as he carefully brought it upwards as if he were carrying water in his hands. Up through himself, the power shimmered with anticipation, warm and lovely, and was just about the only part of himself that he liked. <laughs> Poor Rune. So we do see it in all three series. Um, I I don't know how, again, star Starborn magic is a different breed of its own kind of goes into its own category because Bryce can also pull her star out of her chest which is just like what happens if she kicks it like and Yahtzee's it away <laughs> is it gone I I don't want to know I, I, I do want to know but I don't want to know for this episode I, I should just shut up whenever it comes to like, whenever Starborn magic should, comes up and I'm not talking about Starborn I should really just like zip my lips but I never do because I just start so that's all we have on, like, the Seeds of Magic. It That's how she lived. That's how, why, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's how that worked. <laughs> so what I'm trying to say. That's how that worked. That's why she still has power, a little bit of power left. Like, it, it's just the, the... She had lost all of her power before her Amala talked. And now her Amala, after her Amala talked and after she goes through the world, she still has some power left. It's because of that seed of magic, light, and life that she was given. And I think why she, in the same, it's kind of paralleling Farah and how Farah lost her human. Aelin also lost her human. I don't think it was drops. Just saying, I do not think, I, I truly, truly believe the drop is just um, something that the Asteri created to funnel first light. It is a forced settling, in my opinion. I know I haven't talked about it on here yet, but I'm just letting that out there, putting it on the universe so that way, like, you guys can know that I don't think that, and that's that. The next thing we see is, that I want to talk about, is that Aelin approaches the archway to the god's realm, which we talked about how frustrating it is that sometimes Sarah says realm, sometimes she says world, and she kind of uses them interchangeably and not in a way that's clear enough for us to know what is what. Anyways, <laughs> um, I think we should really just, like, 
like white out around like cross it out and write world above it just for like clarity sake Aelin approached the archway to the god's world to where Mala now walked across the shimmering grass a little more than a shaft of sunlight herself and then it says she dipped into that eternal terrible power and she says the gods began shouting running towards her as Aelin ripped open a hole into their sky right into the world she had only seen once had accidentally opened a portal into one night in the stone castle distant baying howls cracked from the bleak gray expanse a portal into a hell realm a door now thrown open Aelin was still smiling when she closed the archway to the god's world and left them to it the sounds of their outrage frightened screams ringing out now this is i I, I'm confused. I'm confused because, so Aelin opened a portal that stays open between those two worlds because she left the God's world. She didn't tear that away. It wasn't like she was, it was an illusion, which is kind of how I always pictured it in my head for some reason. But it kind of makes me think, so she ripped open a hole in their sky, which makes me think about how, um, Amran came to Perithian and she just left it open. So, like, there's always going to be an open portal between one world and the other. Like, how is that not... What's the word I'm looking for? Um, Quantum physics. I, I don't know. Against quantum physics law. <laughs> I don't know. But it feels like, I mean, they deserved it. Do not get me wrong, they, they deserved everything that happened, then, like, obviously that world probably isn't full of nice people, so, like, I guess it doesn't really matter. But, like, is there now just a portal in a sky open between two worlds? And, like, what... How, what does... Uh, anyways, moving on. Aelin <laughs> unfurls her palm, studying the lock she had forged, and let it float into the heart of the misty, door-filled space. So, I think this is the in-between. I think this is the in-between that we hear talked about quite a lot, because later it says, the queen who walked between the worlds. Is this how Adis and others can slip into other worlds? Are they you know, going into this in-between space somehow, and then, like, either waiting for the right door to pop up or finding the right door to pop up? How does that work? I know I'm asking kind of in-depth questions, but you know what? That's what we do on this podcast, and asking questions are okay. And I just kind of wanted to, like, let that... Just let that settle in your heads, because that's also what's settling in my heads. Heads. Head. As if I have more than one. Sometimes it feels like it. Um, then we get the, the bit about her tattoo again, and it says inked in the words of the universes. Bryce's tattoo is also word marks. Same thing. The language is beyond that of this world. It is the language of the universes. And you know what? Fine. Bryce's tattoo is word marks. That makes total sense. I don't want to know. I, my question is, and, oh, we got, why was I doing that? Um, we got, uh, the indie exclusive edition of House of Sky and Breath, of Flame and Shadow is going to be 
Bryce and Danica on the night that they got their tattoos. Now, remember, Danica has the exact same tattoo as Bryce. Danica knows word marks somehow, and you cannot tell me, cannot tell me that she just, you know, Aelin says that it's like, when she talks about learning word marks, it's like, even one slight variation of the hand can change the entire meaning of something. So, like, learning, you know, word marks well is incredibly difficult and takes a lot of time. And the only place that I could think of that she might have picked it up is, like, I, I mean, I don't know how she picked it up, but she couldn't have picked it up between Bryce's pee breaks when she was hanging around at Jezebel's library. So, like, I don't know how Danica learned word marks. I don't know where she picked it up from. I'd love to know. Uh, we don't. But I just, like, I want to just reiterate the fact that Danica has the exact same tattoo. And what does that mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? And also, I kind of, I'm waiting for, like, because we don't know what Nesta's lingering tattoo is. If it's the same tattoo that she had beforehand or if it's a different one. Like, it doesn't get described at the end of Akasif. And I'm wondering if hers is going to be word marks as well now. Like, ugh. Is everybody going to have wordmark tattoos? Like, I'm pretty sure Cormac has a wordmark tattoo. I think that the Illyrian ruins are wordmarks. Like, like, is everybody having wordmark tattoos? And if so, like, what do they all mean? I, I, mm -mm. Okay. I want to talk about what happens. Um, clarity's sake, like, what does Aelin actually do? How does she... What, what's happening here? And I think, from my best understanding of the SJM universe... In my reading comprehension, I think what Aelin does in this in-between with all of the doors and the word gate is exactly what Bryce does in House of Earth and Blood 87. And it says, so in Koa, it says, light flowed through the lock, fracturing like a prism, shooting into all of those infinite doorways, closing and sealing and shutting, an archway to everywhere, now sealing. In House of Earth and Blood, chapter 87, the quartz of the gate was a conduit, a prism, able to take light and power and refract them, fracturing fracturing like a prism. She closed her eyes, remembering the rainbows this gate had been adorned with on the last day of Danica's life when they had come here together, made their wishes. This had to work. A final wish, close Bryce whispered, shaking, and she thrust her starlight into the gate's clear stone. Like, basically, a hundred, like I would say, ninety nine point nine percent paralleling what Aelin did here, but just on a bigger scale, kind of like what Bryce ends up, you know, doing. Or no, because she does something. Well, no, she does some. She does the same thing. So like, kind of like what Bryce does at the end of House of Earth and Blood is basically the exact same thing that Aelin is doing, which begs the question: If Aelin's power can do it, Bryce's power can do it. It's first light death maidens that are exactly like healers. Don't go into the spiral. Remember what I said earlier about how whenever I start talking about the Starborn power, I need to just shut my mouth. <laughs> but what's really, what's really interesting is so, okay, 
she says in House of Earth and Blood 90, the gate wasn't just a prism, it was a conduit. She had the horn and her very skin had pr proved it could close a portal to hell. So, so Bryce uses the horn and her power and the gate to, sh to shut the, the, the things, whatever. I want to talk about, and I know I talk about it every time I'm allowed to, every time I can even weasel myself into there like a little rat, I keep bringing it up, but that's because it never leaves my mind. It plagues me constantly. It is in House of uh, Earth and Blood chapter 14, in the Autumn King's study, when Rune needs, when he needs Rune Starlight to track patterns and whatnot, he shoots it through a prism. The Autumn King has this prism that he's, like, refracting through his orrery or something like that. Because it's not really totally described what's going on. But it says, studying how light moves through the world and how it can be shaped. I will never let, like, never let that go. Like, what is that man do? Like, oh, he's, like, evil incarnate. I get it. But also, like, what's he got going? What's he got cooking? He he fast he he truly does fascinate me the autumn king i know I, he's not supposed to but he totally does and i and i feel like horribly guilty every time i say that like I, I need to like go pay penance or something uh but he does he totally fascinates me it's disgusting i hate myself for it sometimes and then the other time that a prism and a crystal and light uh get talked about in the sjm universe is in hosap chapter 22 when rune uses the crystal for the very first time to reach out to day and he says rune extended the bridge from himself through the crystal and then out into the vast unknown sprawling into a darkness with no end which you know i've talked about how the demetis i think are mystics or something like that so i i'm kind of you know <laughs> willing it he clenched the crystal tighter, willing it to lead him where he needed to go, as if it were a prism filtering his power out into the world. Hello. His voice echoed down the bridge and to nothing. He virtualized the crystal's milky core, imagined a thread running from it down this mental bridge out towards the other end. So, I mean... In some ways, like, I know it kind of sounds like a wild card about the prism thing, but in some ways, it's sort of similar. It's kind of similar to, like, the gates that Bryce talks about, how it's communication and how you can, like, uh, what was, like, her and Danica at the beginning of House of Earth and Blood, like, you can, like, people whisper profanities and stuff, like, to the other side of Crescent City, like, to the other gates. So, like, it's kind of the same thing in a way, but, like, mental, it's, I don't know. And then it says, so kind of continue on, on that, the fact that like what Bryce and what Aelin does is the same thing. A beam of light shot into the archway behind her, beginning to seal it too. So she's like a horn. She's like a, I don't know. It's, it's something. It's the same. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Like the trove word keys kind of all being similar and being able to do the same thing. It sounds like the lock is like the horn in a way and it can open and close doors just like the, you know they both can do the same thing 
Um, just to go back to the whole Mala Asiri thing is ripped out a chunk of what Mala had given her, a force to level a world and flung it towards the lock. In Hoseb 73, it says they rose up. We left them in cinders. First light tasted off terminated world. So a force to level a world. They talk about how that's like the Asiri's power, except like I don't know, they can. So, yeah, there's just that. And then she goes on to say. In the last bit of um, 98, she says, the final bit, the last bit, and then Aelin leapt through the gate. <sighs> this is where people might, this is where people need to tune me out now. This is when I'm going to talk about what happened. I want to point out, Aelin leaps through the gate and then she, it goes into chapter 99. It says, she was falling and being thrown. The word gate sealed behind her and yet she was not home. It closed. All of the worlds overlapped. I want to point out that it does not say time in any of these chapters. The word time is not in here at all. It doesn't say how long, like not even in a throwaway line. So time is never mentioned. Space is never mentioned which is usually synonymous when someone is falling through, you know, when they're talking about the worlds and stuff. And we'll talk, and I'll, I'll go into it in a second. But, or, well, time and space are not mentioned, which we see should go hand in hand when we see time and space get mentioned when it comes to Bryce and Hunt twice when they do whatever they're doing during um, the Devil's Tango. Like, they say, like, they fell through space and time. I do not think Aelin is at all falling through the realms. I think she is very securely in the word that ties the realms together, which is the pancake, uh, the, the, the butter in the pancake theory. If you guys remember, the syrup is the realms, the pancakes are the worlds, the butter is the word tying it all together. Like, that's where Aelin is in the butter, like, mixing with the, the syrup and, and tunneling down to the bottom of the plate through the pancakes. Like, that's what's happening here. And I say it so confidently because in no time are light and shadow mentioned. Again, with Bryce and Hunt, it says, like, through light and shadow, they tumbled. Like, there's no mention of, um, you know, we have 26 realms, and the only thing that ever gets mentioned is Aelin in the in-between and the world. So I just, like, there's no realm work happening here. So I just don't see how she could fall through time. In my personal opinion, just with the canon evidence that I'm getting, with the way that I understand the SJM universe, that's, that's why I say it so confidently, that she did not fall through time, just worlds here. And we can kind of, like, you, so we see someone, we see Nesta with the harp, um, going through space and time. And it says time specifically, like when she goes back and sees the last time that the harp was used in Akasif 53, it says, Nesta had the sensation of falling, tumbling through air and stars and time. It was a trap and our people were too blind to see it. Eons, stars and darkness plunged around her. So like that's when time is being manipulated. Like I truly think that Nesta like actually did like for a bleep, bleep, a moment go through time and space to see what had happened the last time the harp was huge, which is when I think that the missing daughter did, um, and shut the gates or the art the, the the entry points to Perithian from Midgard. That's what happened there. She saw something that happened back in time. 
Again, no time is mentioned, but we should get the same thing. She was falling and being thrown, that's Aelin, Nesta falling and tumbling through air. When Bryce goes through the gate, um, in Hosab 76, it says she fell slowly and without end sideways. This is the same as, as Aelin. The exact same. I'm, I'll show. I'll. I'll. I'll prove it for a sec. In a moment. So she's going sideways, not a plunge down, but a yank across. The pressure in her ears threatened to pulp her brain, and she was screaming into the wind and the stars in the emptiness. So like it's kind of a mix between what happened with Nesta and what happened with Aelin. Screaming into hunt and rune and left that crystal palace. Screaming and then in chapter 78 it says, One moment she was falling sideways and then her right shoulder collided with a wall of green that turned out to be the ground. Now, okay. <laughs> um, I want to skip. I, I, I don't know how to. I, it's kind of hard, like, when you're doing chapter breakdowns, I, I try to go in chronological order, but sometimes things, like, push, mush together, but they're separated by a few paragraphs, and, like, it's kind of hard to, like, do that. So, Bryce fell sideways, yanking across. Now, oh, oh, just, like, it, it's getting to me because, like, I have, oh, okay. I'm going to skip down. We'll go, we'll go back up in a second. So, she's going through the world's she sees the Crescent City world, and then she sees Akatar. We see that Reese helps her. So she sees Reese and Feyre, right? Reese sees her, sees Aelin, and <sighs> so she's supposed to be invisible. Um, a few months ago, a year ago, almost a year ago, I've had it, I've been sitting on it for a while. It's just like something that I've kept like in my cat, my repertoire. Somebody sent me, um, a video, a screen recording from when SJM did a live. I want to say it was like right after Akasif had come out. It was like a spoiler live that she did. And I transcribed the video so I could read it. Um, in in here. So this is in Sarah's words about what happened here. Funny enough, that was a scene, an actual scene in the book, like in real time, where Reese and Farah were off for a romantic evening, and it was in, from Reese's POV, and you literally saw through his eyes, in his first person narrative, what he sees, and literally he sees Aelin, like falling, like he sees a girl falling. So not a star. This is what the person says. No. So Reese is like pretty weirded out by it. And he goes back and like tells people like, oh, it was a red star, but it's like really fucked with his head. So like to see a person go flying by and then Sarah waves her hand sideways. So she doesn't go up and down. It's sideways. But, um, it was a really nice moment because she's, like, quickly shooting across their sky and falling through their world, and he senses that she's, like, in trouble and reaches out a magical hand to help slow her, slows her down. Reese is her parachute, basically. And it's just, like, a moment you kind of saw deep down Reese's, like, 
you know, he just instinctively sensed someone in trouble and tried to help in whatever way he could. And she snaps her hand. Then she's gone. And he was kind of shook. She laughs. But it was a scene in the book. It was... Then she pauses. I cut it because it was... You had 500-whatever pages of Nesta, and then all of a sudden it was a random switch to Reese for, like, three pages, which was narratively weird. And it was too short of a scene to, like, be, uh, you know, a bonus scene in a special edition. But, yes, that was Aelin, and she was falling through the worlds and made a little cameo. This is, uh, you know, so that's, th that was her exact wording with her uhs and her ums, and I cut a lot of her, <laughs> I didn't do her laughing, but, like... So yeah, it's canon. She doesn't mention time at all. She doesn't mention space at all. She just says the worlds and she says sideways, which I think is really important considering Bryce falls sideways. And then when, when she sees her own world, what does she say? Which is right after, so it's Perithian and then it's Aurelia, which I think is really important considering the fact that as I think, we, I can't even remember what we've talked about already, um, that Rigelus is like all Fae came from, might have came from the same world. That there are, oh, I do have it in my notes. Yeah. When she sees the Akatar world, she says they were Fae, but not of, not her world. In Hoseb 73, it says Midgard shifters were Fae from a different planet. All Fae in that world share their forms with an animal. The myrrh descended from them too. Perhaps they once shared a world with your breed of Fae, but they had been alone on their planet for long enough to develop their own gifts. So I think it's really, really important and, and, and pretty interesting that it's like, boom, Crescent City. Is it Crescent City? No. Crescent City is a few planets later because she passed through so she sees crescent city and then it says pass through a world of rain and green and wind she tried to slow she passed through a world of ocean no land to be seen close she was close she could nearly so i think it's interesting that she could nearly smell the pine and snow as she goes through perithian so i think that there's something there to show like the similarities between the worlds, especially when you consider the history of Perithian Fae and the Mother and the Cauldron, and the history of Aurelia with the Mother straying through the Word Gate and finding Aurelia in form of need and life that we learn in Throne of Glass chapter 27, which I know you guys can just mouth back to me because I keep bringing it up because I think it's important. So I think it's really interesting that the, these worlds are like boom, boom. Like that, that's something there. There's something kind of... I feel like there's something important there. Um, oh, I feel like I'm on high and I'm jittery and, like, shaky. And I, I know I'm like... So, she's going across the world. And she even goes across Aurelia. And then she sees where she's supposed to be. And then she goes down into her body. So, all the other times she's going sideways. So, I... I didn't catch it even when I was making my notes, but then Bryce goes sideways to Perithian. I, I don't know what it means. I don't know. I don't understand. I, I don't know, but I, I am... Uh... Also, Sarah, I could literally die. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but like, I would pay three times the amount of a nat of for a whole... Like, doesn't even need a special cover. I don't even care. 
of just for that Reese POV as a bonus scene. Are you kidding me? Who, who told Sarah that it wasn't good enough for a bonus scene? Who told? I want them to. They need to come see me. But you know what's funny is that um, <laughs> it was with Stephanie Brown, um, and she's like a she's one of Sarah's friends, but she's also like a, a true true fan of the works, and she was just like don't you know that your fans don't care? Like, blah, blah, we don't care. We want it. And I was just like, yes, someone's speaking for the people. There is a voice of reason somewhere in Sarah's life. Ah! I really hope that we do get it some, I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know. Maybe if we bully her enough, <laughs> they'll give it to us. <laughs> Which would be crazy, like, considering the fact that we actually have well, I guess that's, I was about to say, we, we never had his POV before, but we do get it in, um, Akafas, and we do get, like, the beginning of Akawar, the pref the prologue is in Reese's POV of him, like, picking through the bugs for his brother's maybe dead bodies, but yeah. So, I feel like I'm slowly descending into madness, I do want to go right back because I, I said I skipped back down to talk about the whole sideways thing and, and the worlds and whatever. So in the very beginning of Koa 99, just jumping back to to where we were, um, it says she was falling, falling and being thrown. The word gate sealed behind her and yet she was not home. As it closed, all worlds overlapped. This is really important. And this is not something I talked about and I should have talked about when we were discussing the realms. So because I just didn't, I didn't, you know, like I said, it was there. It's not really important, but I think, like, just to understand, like, what the universe, the SJM universe is like. So, in, in Crown of Midnight, when Aelin is talking to Baba Yellowlegs, she talks about, like, the other worlds and, like, how you could be standing in someone's oceans or something like that. It does make sense when you consider um, that Aelin is falling through the word. Like I said, the butter. Like, through the, through the syrup, through the pancakes, she is the butter. That is the word. And we can kind of see that again. I bring up um, a court of Silver Flames chapter 13 with Gwen and, and Nesta talking about Meryl's research. She's obsessed with theories regarding the existence of different realms, different worlds, living on top of each other without even knowing it. So that's what they're talking about. The same thing with Aelin going, the world's overlapping. It all makes sense now, like here. Whether there is merely one existence, our existence, or there might be possible for worlds to overlap. Like pancakes! occupying the same space but separated by time and a whole bunch of other things that I can't even begin to explain to you myself since that first podcast episode about all of this we've had an interview with Sarah and it says the world exists but they are planets and light years away so I think that's where the, like the the space and time thing is is talked about is light years but I don't understand a light year so don't ask me to go into that and then I just want to, like, the last thing I want to, this, this is where we're going to end. We're almost done here. It says, there were so many worlds, all of them miraculous, all of them so precious and perfect that even as she fell through them, her heart broke to see them. Come back, Aelin! <laughs> Come take a visit. Thank, like, can you imagine if even for a little moment that Aelin and the cadre get to, you know, meet up with the inner circle just to talk about, like, you know, for whatever reason, and Aelin and Reese get to have this moment, and Aelin gets to be, like, 
like, thank you. And then Reese gets to be like, girl, you freaked me out. <laughs> like, get back, spooky demon child. <laughs> um, and, and I didn't get, I, I told myself this was the last thing I wanted to talk about, but I do want to, like, I just want to reiterate, like, Reese did see Aelin. He saw a girl. How, how did Reese see her if she was invisible? What is Reese's power? What, like, and why didn't, like, if, like, what is so different between Reese and, and between Feyre that Feyre didn't see it? Was she just not looking in the same direction as Reese was or what? Man, I could go on and on and on and on and on. And sometimes that's not okay. <sighs> she wheeled herself the world's just a halt, just as the word gate slammed shut with a thunderous crack, all other doors with it, and Aelin plunged back into her own body. So we have the gates getting shut by the missing daughter, trapping. I don't know if that was just central to Midgard and Perithian or what, but so we have that with the missing daughter, Thea and Helena. We have the rifts being mostly shut by Peleus. Remember, rifts are different than gates. And then we have the word gate being shut by Aelin. I don't know if that means they're shut and locked. I don't know if that means that, um, you know, what does it mean that they were open this whole time? Isn't, does anything change? Is anything different? Like, I don't have the answer to that. But I think we might get answers moving forward. I think, like, that if there's any way that Aelin and Co. are going to be, like, thrown into the mix, it could be to, ex like, for Aelin to explain kind of, like, the word gate situation, um, to be honest. So, yeah, there is all of that. And also, like, Tog, I you know, we have Valg and Valg-like beings on Perithian. So I think, like, also that can be a good way to tie in Tog. I always get asked, like, constantly, all the time, I'm always asked, like, do you think that Throne of Glass is going to be brought into the the crossover and all that stuff? And uh, honestly, yes, for, like, canon reasons, but also, like, marketing-wise, like, it would be a complete fumble on Bloomsbury and Sarah's part not to throw in Throne of Glass because, like, how could you just leave out a series and characters when we all desperately want to see them again? And, and Sarah has said, like, multiple, e like, literally at the kingdom of ash press tour she was just like we're not done like we're done for now like she's always left the door open for more tog and like last year at the live she did she had said that she she's been thinking about the witches again and like so like there's just been there's always stuff you know she's she's always been saying like throne of glass is coming back and i she could have been her cheeky way of saying like crossover duh Duh. Whew. I feel like I just like word marathoned. I don't know why sometimes I feel like I need to like r rush speaking. I hope I'm I'm slow enough. <laughs> um so this I didn't realize it, but I segued myself so good. Um next week I was requested to do an episode on the canon gods so we have done theories on the gods but next week we're gonna just talk about everything we know about the gods in the SJM universe and just kind of break it down and talk about each one um it as as in depth as we can so that's what we're gonna be doing next week and I'm kind of glad, like wow that was such a good didn't even plan it <laughs> 
Um, so that's what we'll be talking about next week. Thank you for letting me do this episode. It was fun for me. It was good for me. Um, man, I love Aelin so much. I can't believe people don't want her to come back. That boggles my mind. <sighs> okay. I will leave this outro short and sweet. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for coming back for season two. If you don't know, at this time, when this episode comes out, we will be doing a tabbed reread of House of Sky and Breath. If you want to join us for the conversation, you are more than welcome. Just go to any of my socials, click on the link tree, and you will find the Fable link. You should have the app if you want to join. I don't know how that works, to be honest. Just magic, to be honest. I don't know. Um, so yeah, if you want to join the conversation, feel free to. Thank you so much for listening to my rambles. If you heard crows, I'm sorry. They were being squawky. I'm filming in the evenings now. So, like, the crickets are louder. I have the windows open. It's the last of summer for me. Um, so if you if that's annoying to you and it doesn't add to the ambiance, I'm sorry. But I like the sounds of them. I don't know about for, like, recording, but it's just soothing for me in general. Um... And I have the windows open because it's hot. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hope you guys have a good week. I will see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>